Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. We are in 2021, finally. We <laughs> bid a farewell to that awful year, 2020. Hopefully, it was not that awful for you. And hopefully, 2021 will bring health and prosperity and enrichment. The first half of this year may be as difficult as most of 2020, but we're hoping that at the end of this year, toward the second half, we're going to see that light that everyone is talking about at the end of that proverbial tunnel. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants, and you're listening to Business Casual, our weekly podcast with my co-host, Maria Wittfilla, the founder of Applicant Lab, and Caroline D'Arty Edwards the co-founder of Fortuna Admissions and the former director of admissions at NCOD. This is a big week in MBA admissions. In fact, I think without any exaggeration, I could say that it's the single most important week of the admission season. And that is because most of the round two big deadlines, and we're talking all the elite schools pretty much in the U.S., are having their round two deadlines this week. Today, as we go out on the airwaves on a Tuesday, Harvard and Wharton are up. The following day is Stanford, and there are many other schools on both those days and beyond. And on Monday of this week, we had three major schools, including Tuck and Michigan. So the big issue that we want to explore is, you know, in that frantic last minute mad dash to the finish line, what kind of mistakes do people tend to make? before they hit the submit button. Caroline, what do you see? Well, this is a difficult time of year, I think, the round two deadline, because people are often sort of juggling different things and, you know, can be distracted by the festivities. Of course, you know, this year was very subdued for most people, but but generally, you know, this time of year, there can be a lot going on. And that also feeds into recommender availability. So I think one issue that often comes up at this time of year with it, with this particular round is you know the candidate has has failed to mobilize the recommenders early enough and then they're trying to get hold of them over the holidays and they're, they're not available or you know they, they're going to struggle to meet the deadline or or do things properly in time so that is an issue that comes up every year at this time of year and, is, and given um, the pandemic, are some schools showing some flexibility, particularly in regards to recommenders? Well, schools are often a little bit flexible on recommenders. I mean, the schools understand that the candidates don't have, it, I mean, it do, does depend school by school, but many schools will be a little bit flexible because they know that the candidate doesn't have full control over their recommenders, right? And it's not necessarily sure. their fault if the recommender doesn't hit a bit at exact the precise time when they're supposed to and and things can happen and you know by their nature recommenders are often incredibly busy people with a lot of responsibility and you know things come up and, and they may not be available at the right moment so so schools many schools will accept late recommendations but you know if that is your case you need to check the specific policy for for the schools that you're applying to because that's not not always the case Gee, you know, I, that makes me wonder, you know, there's been this longstanding issue about what you should do if, in fact, a recommender says, okay, you write the letter for me and give it to me. And regardless of the ethical issues involved in that, I'm wondering if, you know, it's your day before a deadline when the recommendations are due, they haven't been done yet, 
and you nudge your recommender and he or she tells you, oh my God, I completely forgot. Can you help me? Should you have something in your back pocket to give to the recommender to meet the deadline? <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's very tricky. And I think it happens more and more, at least, you know, I, I seem to see it more and more that clients are coming to us and saying, you know, my recommender just asked me to write it for him or her. I mean, hopefully you're having that discussion before the night before the deadline so that you, know, you can negotiate a different process because, you know, I've never seen a really strong recommendation that the candidate has written for themselves, right? It's never up to the same level as a heartfelt recommendation that a recommender writes on their behalf. So it's never as strong. It just doesn't work as well apart from the ethical considerations and so on. Right. Um, and then, then, of course, you know, the admissions file reader is very skilled at, at identifying parallels and styles. So it's, you know, you're, it's, it's very risky. I mean, what, what we do is advise clients to prepare briefing documents for the recommenders. So they've got a good basis and that should save them a lot of time and make it very easy for them to write a good recommendation. But ideally, you know, it needs to, it needs to be written by the recommender. It needs to be in their own style, in their own words, you know, from the heart, from them. Yep, yep. And so, you know, if if at all possible, that, that the, the the candidate should be pushing for that. Typically, a recommendation letter has to be filed with the application or shortly thereafter. It's not, it's normally the same deadline, but they can submit it in advance. But it's great if they can get it get it in ahead of time, so that that's one less thing for the candidate to worry about at deadline time. Right. Exactly. So now, Maria, what are what are the last minute things that people should be considering before they hit the submit button? Well, I think on a, on a broad level, you know, Caroline mentioned that people don't tend to mobilize their recommenders in time. I think some people don't tend to mobilize themselves in time. Um, <laughs> so there are these really like even as of as of like twelve hours ago, right? With some deadlines today. I was getting emails from people who were like, I know it says on your website that you need this many business days, but like <laughs> my thing is due tomorrow in 11 hours. Can you still get it to me? And I'm like, no, like we're booked. We're, we don't have any. What am I supposed to do? Like call people up in the middle of the night and be like, hey, wake up. Time to edit an essay. Like get your. And one of the ironies is that one of the people who was really at not just like completely panicked and like way behind, like so behind, it was kind of sad. It was very rude to me. And the funny thing was, just as an ironic thing, that their title is senior project manager. And I I got a bit of a chuckle because I was like, well, this is ironic. Like you <laughs> at work, you're like the senior, pro you're managing projects left and right. And yet, I mean, it's not like they spring the deadlines on us with a week's note. Like we, this, the, these deadlines have been announced for six, seven, eight months sometimes. So like what? So anyway, I would say in general, like mobilize in time on a pragmatic level. I like to see people like submit the date before just in case like the system goes down or you know two minutes beforehand i actually tell people um if they're okay with this like tell your recommender that the deadline's a few days early just say like i you know i'd like this to be by whatever and you know just to kind of try to get them in the mindset I, even though they can see the deadlines obviously but just something to kind of like get across like hey if you want to submit this early that would be great i think in terms of to add on to something you know caroline was saying i think something different that I would say is that the the app form itself, I think a lot of people, they spend so much time on the resume and the essays that then they log into the actual application form, perhaps kind of they save it for last. And I tend to tell people, look at the application form as one of the first things you do. Yeah. Because there are often 
mini essays inside. There are like little things like, hey, if you could travel to any country in the world, why would it be and why? Right. And these are not on the official website as, you know, as essays. And so there may be miniature essays in there. There is a ton of information you need to fill out, your parents' information, your siblings. Have you talked to alumni? You know, describe your biggest challenges at work. Describe your biggest accomplishments at work, right? And then obviously, like an ideal situation, you wouldn't simply copy and paste from your resume because that looks a little lazy. So you actually, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the application form. And if you wait until the last minute, at the, at the minimum, you're going to have like a lot of repetition and it's going to be pretty clear that you weren't thoughtful about the application form itself. And in the worst case, you will, you know, people make mistakes. People make dumb mistakes on the application form. They will put their salary down. They'll like put an extra zero or they'll forget a zero on the salary. <laughs> or, you know, one, one common one is that, you know, many, while well, every school has fairly different core essay questions. The schools that have repetitive questions like, why do you want to get your MBA here? What will you contribute to our community? Or say the optional essay where you explain things like, hey, my college grades really aren't indicative of my academic potential. Sometimes people will say like, you know, you might put like, I, you know, this is, I am, I am convinced that I will excel in your academic classroom at Tuck. (laughs) Right. And you're like, well, that's actually too bad that you that, that's not in the tuck application. Like you pasted the wrong essay. <laughs> you know, I actually had a client who um, I did not review their materials. This was someone who was simply using the applicant lab software and did not run this past anyone. And this person actually put the name Stanford inside their Harvard application. Yeah, that, that um, happens all the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a right. mistake. And, and look, it didn't hurt. This particular person did get invited to interview. So it wasn't like it's not fatal. None of this is, but it's just like, oh, like it's sloppy. Yeah. Yeah. It's sloppy. See, Caroline always has the best word. It's sloppy. (laughs) Right. And so just like, oh my gosh, if you were just have just done this like a week ago, you know, it just, oh, you would have avoided sloppy little mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's remarkable. There's, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of mistakes with dates because, Mm -hmm. as you said, I mean, there's just a lot of data to fill out on those forms. And, you need to go through and check, right, your start date and your end date for each of your previous positions that it matches what you have on your resume. That's incredibly common to make that type of mistake. Or, or you know, you make a mistake in the dates and then it looks like there's a gap in, in your professional history. And then, you know, that that doesn't look very good. I've seen, you know, when I was admissions director at INSEAD, I've had applications where people have put their date of birth as the application deadline or something. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, you know really basic mistakes because as Maria said you know it's not the most exciting part of the process right filling all out all of that data it's more interesting to think about the essays and the deeper questions and and all of that so people tend to spend a lot of time on the essays particularly and neglect that those forms and those forms are often the first thing the admissions file reader will look at right so you're making a first impression with that and because they're often looking at that first, that is setting the stage for the rest of your application. So I really like candidates to actually, you know, fill that out as early as possible because I don't like reviewing anyone's essays. You know, they send me essays to review. I don't like reviewing the essays if I haven't seen the, the rest of the application form because it's like, how can I review this without the context of your of what the admissions file reader will have read before they get to your essays? It's, it's the sort of the context, the framing that's really important. True. 
Now, if you have an admissions consultant, does the admissions consultant do a final uh, look at everything before it gets submitted so that the simple mistakes uh, don't get made? Is, is that part of the service or not? Well, it depends what you've signed up for. And if you sort of signed up for an all-inclusive package, then, then that should be part of what they do. Although having said that, I mean, sometimes there's an issue where, you know, candidates will go through sort of multiple iterations really right up to the deadline. So it can be tricky if you're still sort of revisiting your essays the night before the deadline. It can be difficult for your for your consultant to review everything again and just pick up if you've made any any errors. So it's better to, you know, finalize things well ahead of the deadline. So you make sure that you give your coach time to do that careful proofread. Yeah, exactly. Right. And what about, I mean, one of the things about these round two deadlines this week is that in many cases, they probably are for your first choice schools. Uh, After this week, there comes a time, uh, you know, day after day after day, in fact, when uh, applications might be due to your second or third choice schools. Are there things that you may have learned in completing your first application and submitting it this week that you should take to heart in subsequent weeks when you file your applications for schools that, you know, you want to attend, but may not be your first choice schools? Well, I I think, I mean, sometimes people are applying to a lot of schools, they sort of run out of steam. And I think, you know, that's a risk that people dedicate a huge amount of time, right? You know, the Harvard and the Stanford deadlines now, you know, people are hugely invested in that. And then if applying to additional schools, you know, sometimes those come as a bit of an afterthought. And and schools are very adept at picking up on that, right? If it seems like a bit of a copy-paste, it seems like, you know, you, you're not very clear about your motivation for that particular school. It's a bit vague why you're applying to that specific school. That That's something to be careful of. But I, I do think, I mean, it, once you've done one application well, it gives you a great foundation to leverage for additional schools. But it's better to, I mean, all the more reason to finish that that first application early as possible so that you give yourself time to to really, you know, give justice to the additional applications because it's 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 a lot, it's a heck of a lot of work. I think people always underestimate how many hours of work it will take for them to do do the applications really well. And if you're doing multiple applications, it, it's tough, right? It's, it's, it's a heck of a lot to get through. True. And, and I wonder what is life for the two of you the day before the Harvard Wharton and two days before the Stanford deadline? What is it like? Maria? I mean, it depends. So now, fortunately, I'm I'm in a position where I, you know, I have I have some people helping me out. Thankfully, I have got some former Applicant Lab users who got into business school and graduated and are now coming back to help me as as reviewers. So thankfully, that means that it's it's gotten better. But in those early days, I mean, I would be pulling essentially all nighters the entire week up to <laughs> up to the deadline. And I remember being really inspired by by an admissions consultant I met. There's there's like an annual admissions consultants conference. And there was this woman who was like, I don't want to spend Christmas and New Year's editing essays. So I basically tell my clients when they sign up, I'm not available after December 15th. And oh, wow. I, yeah. And then she's like, and then I go away. So I think she like goes like, I mean, in a pre-COVID age, I think she was like, I went, she went like snorkeling in Thailand or something. You know what I mean? She was like, <laughs> I, am, I don't even look wow. at Wow. 
And she's like, and if you don't like it, then fine, don't work with me. But she's like, I will not. I think so many of us in this business have had the Christmas where we didn't talk to our families, right? Like the new, where it's like, oh yeah, yeah, open the present, fine. Look, I've got 20 other essays I need to review tonight. Just lay it out. And I think so many have been through that. that, No, seriously, it's a little traumatic. Yes, it is. Um, And I really wish the schools wouldn't make the deadlines right after New Year's. Like it's miserable anyway. But so that, you know, it's been, it's usually been pretty miserable in the past. I did want to pick up uh, on on a a couple of things that Caroline said a second ago, because she's right. You do start to lose steam. I mean, heck, I'm even, you know, we're sort of half-heartedly applying to some private schools right now for my son. Well, there's one that we really love actually, but you know, even I'm losing steam on writing his, you know, the parents have to write essays. So I get it, right? I totally get it. But here's what I tell folks. I tell folks every, first of all, first of all, every school that you apply to treat it like your first choice school, because you don't know if you, yeah, sure. Everyone would love to go to Harvard or Stanford. Everyone would love to get in, but they don't. So if you put all of your energy into Harvard and Stanford, and then you really half bake, I don't know, Duke or Yale, guess what? You might end up with nothing because if someone wasn't going to get into Harvard or Stanford anyway, and then they really half-bake, say, Duke, right? And they're just like, oh, I want to go to Duke because it's got good classes. And then they don't talk anything else about Duke. It's clear, like Caroline said, it's pretty clear that you didn't really, you know, that this is sort of a, you know, sort of a Hail (laughs) Mary that you threw together at the last minute. And if they see that, they're going to be like, well, forget you. Like, we've got so many other people who would love to come here. And so I think some candidates shoot themselves in the foot by, you know, it's sort of like this all or nothing kind of thing where it's obvious to the reader for that second choice or third choice school that guess what? It's obvious that you're, we're not your first choice. So guess what, kid? Boom, go away. <laughs> um, and so I think, so I think that that's, that's a real danger when people get a little bit less late, you know, not lazy, but they lose steam. So what I tell people also is first of all, try not to lose steam and just treat every school like it's your first choice. And then also like, plan a really big reward for yourself when your final application is done or mini rewards along the way if you've got deadlines spread out over a couple of weeks. Um, in the COVID age, that's a little bit harder to do, but I like I take a day off from work and just like binge Netflix and watch and you know eat Ben and Jerry's all day. Um, <laughs> Drink a really, bottle of like, champagne. All right. You can drink. That's <laughs> I do not necessarily endorse alcohol, but you know, if that's how you want to, if that's how you want to take your day. Like seriously, because if you have that to look forward to, I do that because I do this for myself in years past. I'll be like, okay, you know, on that, on that last day in January, man, I am going to go do something great. Um, so I think that's another, that's another tip that I would give people. Now there are a lot of people this week that are submitting their applications with a great deal of anxiety above and beyond the normal jitteriness that uh, accompanies, you know, applying to something that you've dreamt about for many years and hoping you get in. And, and that is, and we've mentioned this many times uh, during our podcast series in terms of how competitive this season is. And we've gone into the reasons for that, but I wonder for the, for those who are a little extra worried and want to know what can they expect given the onslaught of applications that are expected in this round two, what advice would you have, Caroline? Yeah, I mean, I agree. There's a lot of anxiety. I think anxiety is heightened right now compared to previous years. I would say that, you know, it's never a good idea to focus on the competition, right? You have to focus on your own story and sort of shut out the noise around you because if Anxious candidates, so typically what we see is 
you know, they'll be constantly, they'll be questioning their application again and again and, and sort of restarting and, and constantly revisiting or sort of starting from scratch with, with their essays sort of, you know, a week before the deadline. And that is not, it's not a healthy process for them. And they probably won't put their best foot forward in, in, in the process. So, so sort of try to, it's very difficult, but try to block out that, you know, what, what else is going on out there in, in the pool and just focus on getting your own story across. And I would say, you know, we were surprised with how well um, our clients did in round one. So I think success rates or admissions rates were higher than we thought they might be given what we've anticipated about the level of competition. So, you know, I think that the schools are hedging their bets a bit. I think that they are expecting that yield may be weaker than usual. And I think that some candidates are hedging their bets. I mean, I've spoken to candidates who are applying to the top schools and they're saying, you know, if even if I get into Harvard, if it's going to be online in the fall, I'm not going to go, right? So, so there are some people who are applying and they're sort of waiting to see what's going to happen. And so schools are aware of that. They are also aware that, uh, you know, there's just a lot of uncertainty in the environment right now. So schools are... I think anticipating lower yield and therefore making more offers. They're also waitlisting more candidates, and you know, waitlisting is not the ideal situation, but or or um, result that you, that you saw what you set out to <laughs> to to achieve, right? That's but it, sure. the door the door is still open, so you know, it's it's there is hope, right? If you get waitlisted, so the schools are waitlisting a lot. So I I think that you know, if, if you've got a strong story you've got a very good chance of getting into a great school. But it, it's very difficult for the candidates who have the heart set on, you know, Harvard, Stanford or Bust. I think that's going to be particularly challenging this season. Yeah, and I, and I think you're right. Uh, more candidates are going to be left in limbo being placed on wait lists because there's a lot of concern over yield again this year, given all the disruption and the change. And also to the extent that any schools uh, gave out deferrals, particularly to international students who then might be coming back, meaning that a certain number of seats are already filled. This is true at Harvard, for example, and other schools. That level of uncertainty increases because will, in fact, those students come or not? Even though they deferred, they may want to uh, come back in another year if they can. They may have found that they just got a promotion at work and they don't want to take a chance. They may still be uncertain over whether or not everything will return to normal in the fall uh, when they would matriculate, and they may not want to go through a hybrid or online experience. So there are a lot of uh, open questions that will lead to some volatile yield numbers that will come in at the end of the day, which is why those wait lists are going to be bloated. Any soothing words other than to buy a lot of Ben and Jerry's, Maria, <laughs> for our anxious applicants this week? I mean, I I think it's it's just do the best you can and then it's out of your hands at a certain point, right? Just like with everything in life that you attempt, don't, you know, and, and I think when Caroline mentioned a minute ago, like the people who are like, it's draft 47 and I changed the semicolon. <laughs> and, like, come on. Like, it's not you know the the essay it's it's the content of who you are and not so much whether or not you use a semicolon or a dash in a sentence like that semicolon isn't going to think that going to be the thing that gets you into harvard it's your history of leadership and accomplishment that gets you into right so don't 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 drive yourself crazy with 77 iterations of every essay just that's really true 
just yeah. do the best you can and then hit submit and then it's out of your hands. And I think one final um, piece of it, uh, sort of advice, and this may be sort of cold comfort, but as we've said before, like this isn't, it's not like you're applying to medical school because you want to be a neurosurgeon and there's only, you know what I mean? Like if you don't get into medical school, your dreams of being a neurosurgeon will never, ever materialize. It's not quite like that, right? You can, people have successful business careers left, right, and center all over. You can throw a rock in any major metropolitan city and you'll find someone who was successful in business without an MBA. So also like, just don't psych yourself out so much. Some people, some people tend to, think, it's almost like they think this is like a life or death or like, you know, my life is over if I don't get into Stanford. And it's like, no, <laughs> it's really isn't right. It, this isn't, you don't have to get an MBA. And I'm not just saying that as like sour grapes or whatever. Some of the most, and we've, as I've mentioned before, like some of the most successful people we know in our social sphere were people who went to really great colleges. And then when it came time to apply to business school, we're like, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to stay here for two years and advance my career. And today that gamble for a lot of our friends paid off because they're ahead of us because they had the extra experience, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it, it don't, please don't, this is not life or death. <laughs> yeah, that's really, that's really true. And, and I'm just to some perspective here. I've, I've read some comments online, including their own site, Poets and Quants, where people are saying, oh, my God, it's going to be so competitive. Why even bother to apply? I'll never get in. Well, the truth is that while there is, of course, uh, a, a big increase in applications, we're coming off several years of decline. And we're pretty much uh, going to go back and maybe exceed just a little bit what it was before the years of decline in uh, applications to full-time MBA programs. So while it may be more competitive, it is also more uncertain. And uh, we're, we're, we're thinking that the admit rates might not go that far down, frankly, because of the uncertainty and the, uh, the, the questions over yield and who's going to actually come once they get in. There's just, just too much uncertainty at this moment. So look, good luck to all of you. We're wishing the best and do these little checks before you hit the submit button. Don't be over anxious. Do celebrate, have some fun with it. And I hope even the process was really helpful. I mean, most people do say that the introspection required of a good application is helpful to you and in, in your life. And we're hoping that that was true for you. So for Maria, for Caroline and myself, and Tori, our production person in the background who actually makes these things happen, we wish all of you a really great, happy new year. Let's look forward to a 2021 that's going to be a lot better than 2020. Thanks for listening. This is John Byrne with Parts of Quants on Business Casual.